if you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there's certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hired this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going on Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to marcellaalonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello and welcome to Get Schooled. Today I have the wonderful Caitlin Bear Bailey. She is a comic and she is also host of a really great podcast I've been listening to called Old Pros. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, did I say it correctly? Old- the oldest profession podcast. The, the, the oldest. Na- I know it's confusing because the name of the organization is Old Pros. So, like, you okay. are absolutely correct. It's just the the name of the podcast is the oldest profession, which the is na- how we got the name to the nonprofit. So. Oh, okay. The oldest profession podcast. So, please introduce yourself. Um, tell the audience who you are. Um, I want to know, because I'm nosy like that, how did you get into sex work? Sure. And then how did your venture to what you're doing today? Totally. Yeah. So my name is Caitlin Bailey. I'm, as you mentioned, the host of the Oldest Profession podcast. I'm also the founder and executive director of Old Pros. We are a nonprofit media organization focused on changing the status of sex workers in society. Um, so we produce a ton of content and events and Basically, we bring people together and we try to change people's minds about this issue. Um, I did sex work at sort of like two distinct periods of time in my life. I got involved in it as a young person, really from a place of rebellion. I came of age during George W. Bush's abstinence-only education program, part of like purity culture Um and really wanting to push back against this narrative. And and plus, by that point, I'd already been obsessed with sex worker stories from history. So I did um, hourly escorting where I used a message board to connect with other escorts. I read the FAQ section, which was full of safety tips. Um, and I set up an ad and learned to schedule and screen my clients. Um, but I did that my last year in high school. So I was technically underage for a couple of weeks. Um, It was actually the community uh, that made me stop until my 18th birthday explaining the liability that I was creating, uh, which I thought was really insightful. And then I returned to sex work uh, the way that many people do to subsidize my career in stand-up comedy in New York City in, you know, the early 20-teens. That time around, I did a different kind of sex work. This was when sugaring was you know, becoming very popular. Um, And so basically, instead of negotiating an hourly rate, I was negotiating a monthly rate. And that enabled me to get the financial, uh, to create a financial 
safety net effectively that allowed me to really pursue my craft uh, and, you know, organize the building blocks that we all need to build uh, adult lives. So yeah, that's the short story of my were you on TER when you or what were what board were you using when you were I, underage? I don't love to say the name of it because okay. it's, you know, but it like uh, similar to Craigslist, similar to TERR, like it was just a you know a message board where there was a once you were registered and people vouched for you, then you had access to the blacklists and you know escort only stuff in addition to the public forum, which is where clients and sex workers advertised. Wow. So you did this at 17 years old, like, yeah. but you willingly, I want to stay. Oh, so yeah. A, an aggressive volunteer for sure. Yeah. Right. I posted my own ad. Um, it's actually very funny because I was, um, at the time I knew I wanted to be some kind of performer. I thought I wanted to be an actress. Uh, I was wrong, but that was the original vision. And I thought that you had to like move to New York or LA to do sex work. Seriously. It did not occur to me that there was sex work happening around me in Raleigh, North Carolina in like 2004, 2005. But it absolutely was because as I say over and over again on my podcast, we are everywhere actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every city, every state. Wow. So you started at a very young age, you just explored. And Mm -hmm. again, I want to, you know, point out that you did it willingly because it's, was there something as a child that you were young? What, what made you, um, think of doing this at such a young you were just going through that rebellious teen period yeah I mean part of it was rebellious teen um you know I think I come by my I am not a go along to get along person right Mm -hmm. like I became you know when I stopped doing sex work I became a political activist and then I transitioned from being a political activist to being a stand-up comedian like none of these are uh you know cog in the machine, nine to five rule follower kind of mm-hmm. professions. And so my contrarianness felt very natural. And I just happened to come up during a very reactive period where we were really shaming sex and really shaming um, uh, trying to control women's bodies. And so I felt like that's what I was reacting to. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now, you you moved to New York and mm-hmm. then you re, you restarted sex work and I totally mm-hmm. get this because living in New York is absolutely expensive. Oh my god, yeah, it's a nightmare. And the jobs, the gig jobs that are available pay so little and it's so expensive to get to them. And to <laughs> intern sometimes. Like I've, oh, I've done yeah, my nightmare. fair share. I've done my fair share of interning and I'll never forget I interned for a talent agent one time. And I was doing, um, I have my side card, by the way, I was doing like, at the time I was, I want my ultimate goal is I wanted to be some sort of talent agency. And I mm-hmm. realized mm-hmm. now I want to be a producer, but I remember I was just doing background work and I told the agents there or something. Yeah. My, I was, I was working on this TV show, whatever. And they were shaming me for doing background work. It wasn't even sex work. Like, and, and but I wasn't getting paid to do this intern. Yeah, how dare you shame me about another job that is paying me in money? This is right. this is the exploitation. <laughs> and then what got me is they didn't even know on the weekends I was stripping. Right, of course. So I was like, wait a minute, you guys are shaming me for working mm-hmm. like background on a TV show, paying yeah. me. I forgot the rate back then or what what year exactly it was, but I'm like, God, if you even knew what I did on the weekends. 
Yeah. You know, like I mean, sex would... work has subsidized more artistic careers and educations oh, yeah. and entrepreneurs than all of the grants combined. But yes, uh, sex work makes these kinds of um, entry point, uh, deeply exploitative, pay to play things uh, more accessible to more people. So I'm really sorry that they didn't pay you for your labor. Yeah. Um, that sucks and that's the problem and they should feel ashamed that's my yeah. that's my position <laughs> yeah no it's it's terrible how society so how did you um now how did you get into comedy because you also are a comp you've got a lot of hats sure like- yeah no I got I got into comedy um as a frustrated uh playwright and actress um mm-hmm. and advocate actually so I was you know a double majored in political science and history uh graduated yeah. in 2009 which was the, the kind of height of the financial crisis mm-hmm. started working for this um progressive political consulting firm which uh you you mentioned that you lived in LA I'm sure you've been to big cities you know, the folks that stand on sidewalks and are like, hey, do you have a minute for oh, yeah. the environment or the ACLU? Yeah. So I was their boss in 12 cities. And that was like my first oh. job out of college. And I was working like 120 hours a week for like $24,000 a year. And it's just one of those, I mean, campaigns, right? Yeah. Or like causes are kind of these like all consuming, you know, burnout things. And I um, I just got spent, right? I had no sense of proportion or boundaries or time management or anything. And so, uh, yeah, I got really, really, really burnt out, especially during the, the 2010 election. And so um, that's when I started doing comedy from this place of like kind of nihilism and like, I feel like I can't affect anything and I don't want to be out there getting email addresses. And I also felt like making people laugh was a 10x more effective way at getting people to listen than this petition fundraising urgency model, which felt hollow and empty and terrible. Um, So I started doing comedy. I came back to New York City um, and, you know, started working at Starbucks, started tutoring, started doing overnight shifts as like a chaperone and trying to carve together um, rent uh, with all of these little Mm. gig jobs and it took me about 18 months to sort of admit, uh, no, I'd rather go back to sex work than do that. This feels more exploitative. Um, and I I did. And that really helped uh, make the next decade possible. Yeah. And so then you went back into sex work and then mm-hmm. comedy at the same time, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I was you doing did... comedy and sex work. Wow. Yeah. And how was that process? And did you get stigmatized or dealing? Because I've been on some podcasts with some of these comedians. Oh, yeah. No, it's the worst. Yeah. They're, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and they're so ignorant about sex work. Yeah. And what was interesting to me, though, is that like as a as a young woman, especially as like, I don't know, a middle class girl or whatever, my sex work gave me a language to kind of get in it with these guys in right. a way that felt like defanging. Whereas otherwise, I just felt like prey, right? Like, yeah. like I was just being bamboozled or I was just being lied to or I was just being manipulated. Like, I had a laundry list of dudes, right, with, like, real writing credits mm-hmm. um, that, that, you know, pull fucking shenanigans on, like, young, hopeful people that are that are thirsty for mentorship, that are thirsty for direction, that are thirsty for uh, just validation, you know, in this very... Uh, cutthroat and deeply vulnerable field. But 
um, sex work and sort of being able to unapologetically talk about uh, being a whore and owning that part of my sexuality made it easier for me to talk about boundaries and enforce, uh, you know, and say like, dude, I don't have a problem with sex, but like, I'm not going to fuck you. And I don't know how many different languages you need <laughs> me to use. Like, can we move on or not? Yeah. Bro? yeah. Um, and it's, it's an interesting roadblock that I think um, I certainly stumbled over. It's, it's, you know, sort of ultimately why I left comedy was a, a you know, sexual assault that I couldn't find the language to talk mm. about without being um, ostracized um, and, and ended up coming back to, to advocacy and carving my own way mm. uh, with this nonprofit media organization that allows me to make impactful art using all of the tools that I've accumulated, including stand-up comedy and humor and storytelling. Wow, that's good. You you chain you uh funneled your energy and put it in the right place. Maybe. Yeah, time will tell, you know. <laughs> time yeah. will tell. So this organization cuz I'm mm-hmm. now I'm like, okay, cuz I know it's the oldest profession podcast. Podcast. The organization is Old Pros. Old right? Pros. Right? So we produce this podcast, we've produced other podcasts, we've produced several short documentaries, we produce a live show um including my one woman show and also a variety show that we have mm-hmm. in New York. Um we've done a ton of like fundraisers, info meet and greets, right? Where we hand out talking points about decriminalization. We invite people from the community to come and learn more, right? About this emergent issue and why oh, it matters. That's great. Yeah. So where, um, is, don't you have another, you have two podcasts where, what documentaries? Can you talk about the documentaries? Because I didn't sure. know you had documentaries. Yeah. Before. So if, if you you know check out the website, one of the things mm-hmm. that we produced was the Old Pro Project, where we funded sex worker art projects from all over the country. Um, and one of the documentaries that was created was this um, really amazing project uh, about Hawaii, um, also the Rite of Lilith uh, by Puxa Plenty, who's an incredible collaborator. Um, there's a deep dive on the history behind... Um, not uh not Stonewall, but the San Francisco diner that came before it, Compton's Cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, and we're uh, open to collaborate collaborators and look forward to making more documentaries. We produced Margot St. James uh, memorial documentary. She's the woman who started the first sex worker led um, advocacy group in this country called Coyote, which stands for call off your old tired ethics. And we are currently producing Carol Lee's memorial documentary. She's the woman who coined the phrase sex work um, and will be debuting it at her, uh, the San Francisco sex worker arts festival, which she ran um, until her death. And so this is, this is going to be the first year without her. And we're very honored to be producing her memorial film. Oh, wow. So you've done, wow. On top of everything, that's a lot of work you've been doing for the past. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, um, I have been loving listening to the oldest profession podcast. And I I started from the beginning and I had Wendy on my other podcast, of course, Wendy Bird on my other podcast, Sunday Funday. Um, I'm loving all these episodes with the history. And- It is, they are so entertaining and so enriching. Um, and it just shows through the years. Like, I don't, I don't know, I get when I'm listening to this, I love hearing the stories about the brothels and yeah, 
how things have changed and everything. Do you have a particular episode that you really, really love? Like that you have to say you're the I mean, favorite. I, I have, I have several favorites. Uh-huh. Um, I think one of my favorite episodes and, and one of my favorite stories is actually the, the story of Ching Shi, who was, uh, objectively the most successful pirate who ever lived um mm-hmm. she started as a chinese prostitute in canton china uh married into a you know a pirate um married a pirate king effectively uh but he died doing pirate stuff and all of the all of his sailors all of the the pirates right that were working um voted to keep her Right. Not his brother, not his son, <laughs> her, her as their leader. And she she like 10 X their fleet and went head to head with the Portuguese Navy, which was a big fucking deal at this time in the world. The British Navy and the Chinese Imperial Navy and beat them so badly that they offered her uh, a full pardon. Right. If wow. if she she got to keep all her shit. All she had to do mm. was promise to stop because uh, she'd taken all of their ships. Like it was a pretty <laughs> embarrassing situation. She cleaned them up. She did. Yeah, the emperor she, was. She uh, cleaned upset. them out. Yeah, that's right, girl. Get all of their money. Oh Teach these God. pirates how it's done. I I have worked. You know what? That's where sex workers are fears. Yeah, because I have worked with girls that have, and I myself too. I'll like. I was telling um, a friend of mine, because I, I just did Exotica in Chicago and I cleaned up because mm-hmm. like I made so much money. And I was I, and I was telling a friend of mine, I go, it brought back like an old sex worker. I remember I went into this club and it was kind of new and all the girls like the strip club, all the girls like sat down and they were ignoring the customers. Right. So I was like, oh, nobody's asking for dances. And I went around and I just cleaned up and yeah. I remember the manager came to me and the one thing is about these managers, they always put this like male guy that's, you know, he's got, he's got his dick. I hate to say it. And some, somebody's biz, you know what I'm saying? Like right. he has, his priorities are not really making money. And he's got like an ego because he's the manager. He came up and said, you know, you're going to have to slow down. I go, is there a problem? Is anybody complaining? He goes, no, but you know, you need to sit down and let the other girls make money. I go, they just need to get up and walk. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing about me doing anything. That's uh, keeping yeah, them from making money. That's anything. not what's happening. But I have known some sex workers that are just fierce where yeah. they have just, and that's just, that is, Man, that just shows you how fierce that she she married a pirate and then she yep. outlived the pirate and she just took some ships and she, she cleaned just took up. over. Yeah, she, she took re- over when she retired. Uh, she ran a gambling den uh, until she died, which I thought was also <laughs> inappropriate. Right. Yeah, I get I ah, we should retire from the high seas. It's wet and windy out there. But, you know, she kept on. Yeah, wow. she now, was a go getter. All these. um for how do you find all these stories? Because you find a lot. Like, and how we're never going to run out of stories. Yeah, that's yeah. never going to happen. Um, my, my first source. I'm in deep gratitude to this amazing scholar and sex worker rights advocate, uh, Melissa Hope Dittmore, uh, who actually has a book coming out that I recommend to everyone. It's called um, Unbroken Chains, and it's a sex worker academic um, advocates analysis mm. of actual trafficking that actually happens in the U.S. and why mm. this conflation between adult consensual sex work and trafficking is so harmful 
for victims of trafficking. Um, but she's an amazing scholar. And she, one of her first projects was that she published uh, the Prostitution Encyclopedia, which has a lot wow. of these stories in it. Um, I, as I mentioned before, I was a, a history major. I've always been a, a reader. So I've been, and once you start a podcast about sex workers in history, then people will email you um their suggestions for old pros that they know and so we've actually been the beneficiary too of um, a lot of family histories right people doing genealogy work and finding their great aunt you know in Plymouth New Hampshire right or you know Portsmouth Oregon or you know these towns in Vermont um and so we're we're always open to suggestions if you have uh, a well-documented old pro in your family or if you know any old pros in your hometown uh you know shoot us an email we're we're open to suggestions well and then I even saw that and I was glad that you covered Cardi B yeah and I love (laughs) that Stormy Daniels too we've got oh yeah yeah Stormy Daniels too yeah Yeah. and Melania Um, Trump we we had a couple of contemporaries in there so did anybody um I remember when the elections had been and somebody I put something on my personal Facebook about it, it, it was a crazy time when those elections happened of course but um, did anybody, I noticed I got the most hate when I put something about Melania Trump being a sugar baby and somebody sure. went off on me and yeah. I was, and I was like, it isn't it obvious. Like- I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, people don't like to see things in that are in front of them. My position, right. Which is a, uh-huh. a, a subtle and nuanced one is that we mm-hmm. should absolutely be shaming Melania Trump for the fascism, not for the uh, obvious and uh, definitely documented sex work that totally happened. Right. That right. part was fine. The right. fucking for money is totally not, not the thing tearing society apart. It's uh, the racism and uh, right. awkwardly yes. um, yeah, and, and explicitly day, the xenophobia. Like what one, are yeah, you doing? One, one thing that I uh, saw one time her argue about, um, Barack Obama not being born in the U.S. and I'm like, it's like, ma'am, how right. <laughs> is she? I couldn't believe this. I I saw. I was like, is she yeah. really going there? Yeah. Like they can't hear I, themselves. It's I, you know, I don't I know what to like, tell you. What? But I just put something. I think I put a meme, and I wasn't even slut shaming her. I just said like something like, you know, when all of a sudden you're sugar daddy and you're now the first lady or something, right. which was true. Yeah. I didn't. It wasn't it was even so that awkward. bad. I, I and I. I, I loved have, her for uh-huh. rene- for choosing to renegotiate the prenup at that moment. That was an old <laughs> pro move. That was something of like bitches need to be taking notes. Like, yes, she's a a, a fascist, and this is wrong, and uh, th- this is how it's done, ladies. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but I um, I I just put something like kind of innocent because it wasn't really slut shaming her. I, and I wasn't offended by it. And I'm a sex worker, but some um, somebody I know of came at me like, why aren't you a stripper? How dare you? And and they and I, I said something to her and I'm like, hey, didn't you take that money that time? Because I, I, it was the person it was right. If we're going to ask sex workers to stop fucking Republicans, then like, I don't know, then yeah. I, it's well, I, no, oof. the person that made a comment, I'll never forget. I was in Vegas with um a client of mine and he would take me out. She wasn't a sex worker. And I invited her somewhere because um, I invited her to go to dinner, whatever with him. And he won a large sum of money and he handed us both the money and she sure took it. And all of a sudden she was all holy and might when I uh, brought up Melania and I'm like, right. Hey, 
I went right back on Facebook. Didn't you take that money that time? You know, that's that was right. my client. Like you, we're all whores in a capitalist system, ladies. Let's yes. get to it. Uh, yeah. Stop. Yeah. 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 What people don't realize, like, you know, exactly. We're all, you know, we're all hoes, hoes. And I feel like with the, with my podcast, what I try doing is bridging and, and under the umbrella, I feel like all sex work, we're basically like the same people and no hierarchy of, you know, one person's better than the other. Yeah. There's no unskilled sex work for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different forms of sex work. Yeah. It's very much different forms. Yeah. But I love listening to your podcast because I kind of sit there and I fantasize about, wow, they used to have brothels and just yeah. be able to. And they be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And be entrepreneurs. And nobody was like coming and down community builders. Right. And build community spaces. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what year was that that everything changed? Because I, I don't sure. know, you're probably more of a history buff. Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm obsessed, right? This is my this is yeah, this is your when did you these brothels end for everybody? It's fascinating actually because it um it happens during the progressive era, right? We criminalized prostitution, abortion, and alcohol all at the same time, right? And it was all part of the same sort of moralistic Mm -hmm. uh, you know, public health, um, you know, so-called progressive era. And so um, you know, the first I'll try to go through this history briefly, but the the first federal anti-prostitution law is also our first anti-immigration law. So this sort of starts out as a kind of xenophobic, uh, you know, whorephobia and um, and racism directed at Chinese people. The Page Act of 1875 makes it illegal for uh, Chinese or, as they said, Mongolian women from immigrating to the United States for immoral purposes. Now, we see that language repeated in 1910 with the Mann Act, which was also known at the time as the White Slave Law. And this is all the result of the white slave panic that's happening during this era, right after the emancipation of slavery, during this increase in, uh, you know, immigration. And as more and more white middle class women are able to leave the house, work for wages, ride bicycles, right? There's a lot of scary social movements right, that right, are making right. and I remember, the dads of America very nervous. And the yeah. Man Act, it was because yeah. of that boxer. Yes. Yes, okay. Jack See, Johnson. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. So they so they, uh, they they do this thing that they're still doing now, right? They conflated rape, right, with consensual interracial relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So white slavery was just any sex that was happening between a white woman and a person of color, right? Whether that was a black man or whether that was an immigrant person, right? Like there's a lot of Jew hatred happening at this time. Also, yeah. it's all wrapped together. And so the Man Act makes it a crime to transport a woman across state lines for immoral purposes. Now, this is sold to the American people as a way of cracking down on sex trafficking, right? right. White slavery, the moral panic of its age. But just like many of our anti-trafficking laws today, it's mostly used to prosecute interracial relationships um, and go after people for aggressively consensual sex. And it doesn't take them long to define extramarital sex as an immoral act, right? So there's like a bunch of comics that you can listen to from like the 1940s and 50s and into the 60s, right? These laws are still on the books. Um, 
joking that, you know, people from New Jersey that come over to New York on a date, right? Well, if you take the woman across state lines, now you're in violation of the Mann Act if you guys uh, are not married. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've known about the Mann Act. And yeah. So originally, it was really targeted against Black men and the Correct. fear of inner. And, and I, you know, what would recent after Fosta Sesta, I remember seeing this campaign and you see a white girl and then right. you see a black, black man hands. in the yep. back. And all the years that I have been in sex work, I have never, um, I have never known of anybody that was really forced to be, and I've been in the business a long time. I have never known of anybody that was forced, you know, by trafficking like that. Right. So, and that's after all the years that I've been, I, I have known, you know, there's people that I have known that have had pimps. We sometimes we call, refer managers, to people to answer managers. the phone, right? Not everyone it has, it wants to right. be a business owner, right? right? right. Also, <laughs> like, but there is, I, when I first started dancing, there were pimps, but what I was going, you know, there was girls that they would have their man or, you mm-hmm. know, they also another term they would use is like 304 is the hoe because mm-hmm. the beeper. And then there's the 16, which is the prostitute. But I never, and the woman that I knew that were in those situations, they wanted to be in those situations. I, it's Look, uh, sex trafficking in this country looks a lot more like domestic violence yes, than it does what, like other forms of labor trafficking. Right, right. Yes, is, and, and, that, is, and I think that's what you mean, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't look like from the outside that people are forcing people to be in these relationships, yeah. even if they are disempowered, right? Even if right. they are, um, but like I, the history of pimps, I think is a really good example, right? Mm-hmm. Of how this, uh, you know, the the powers that be, right, sort of had this panic fantasy, right, about men kidnapping women and then made the lie true by making it impossible for women, but especially sex workers, to occupy public space, right? So men weren't really a part of this economy, right, outside of, you know, gay sex work, which has always existed. But in terms of, like, heterosexual sex work, most of it is happening inside of brothels that are run, if not owned, by women. Pimps are a direct result of criminalization. After the Mann Act, the next law that gets passed in 1917, it's a series of laws that are collectively referred to as the American Mm. Plan, but the Draft Act is one of the first ones. Um, And that closes brothels within five miles of the military base. And it also makes it illegal um, or any, um, any officer can pick up any woman suspected of promiscuity, not prostitution, promiscuity as a way of protecting our soldiers from venereal disease. So now it becomes impossible, right, for sex workers to solicit in public. They need a man to procure clients, to be at the hotel, to be the visible person, right? Because because they had to protect them from the police. I got you. Oh, okay. Right. That's the history. That is how. So in that's how pimps got involved in this economy. Basically back in 1970. Yeah. That's when we that's when we sort of put the death knell on closing the brothels. Right. The moral panic. Right. It starts in the 1870s, gets real hot in the 1890s. It comes to a head with the white slave law of 1910 and continues and effectively shutters the brothels in these red light districts that have been operating 
mostly unscathed for decades, right? Think of Storyville, right? Uh, you know, we've done episodes on the red light districts in Lexington, Kentucky, and Chicago, uh, and Seattle, and New York. And these mm-hmm. are always places that are hubs of artistic uh, ingenuity and creativity. It's where powerful people and creative people and sexy people came to mingle and drink and share ideas and exchange resources. Oh, wow. I didn't realize. God, I learned it. Like, we don't get jazz without the Storyville, without the brothels in Storyville. Right. right? Because it was the brothel owners that were hiring jazz musicians to just fucking improvise for hours at a time. Right. We just need something happening in the background here. That's what we're looking for at this brothel. And it cre- and they, those are the kind of regular gigs, right, that keep people afloat, that create that kind of uh, create the conditions. Right. For that kind of artistic breakthrough. Oh, wow. Wow. And then through the years, um, how has prostitution changed now through the years, like the 40s, 50s and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, I mean, the 40s and 50s. So, you know, a lot of it is the result of like gay panics, right? That's, oh, yes, yes. I remember right. I listened to yeah. when, when, uh, now I'm going to like quote you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll flattered. try by, I'll try by, uh, like you were, I think it was the episode about Nevada brothel, brothel systems. Oh, they, yeah. The, the AIDS epidemic was big. AIDS, it, mm-hmm. that's when the condoms were yeah. required. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was and it was uh, a real double edged sword. Right. Because if you were mm-hmm. caught, they, first of all, they criminalized being HIV positive. Right. So if they picked you up on the suspicion of, uh, you know, th- this is uh, a manifestation, a continuation of the American plan. Right. Which effectively criminalized being um, having venereal disease. Right. But what what pisses me off so much about this is they passed that law in 1917. But we didn't have like effective or accurate STI tests until like the 1940s. So there's like decades at a time in there where it's just some doctor looking at your pussy and deciding if you like look slutty or whatever or like some what? whatever non-medical oh my there gosh. are hundreds of women who are put on lists and sent to lock hospitals and like stripped of their property and their liberty and historians are like yeah there's no evidence here actually that like she had vd uh or gonorrhea or syphilis or like whatever was also, they were claiming at the time i remember your another one of your episodes they said they did they they did more oral sex yeah. than anything else to avoid. Yeah, sex workers have been the carriers, right, of information about birth control and STI, uh, you know, re- harm reduction effectively. Right. And in the brothels, they are able to share that information with one another. When you close the brothels and you force everyone into the shadows and you force everyone uh, to sort of self-isolate for their own protection, it's harder to share information about how to reduce risk. Right. Uh, to violence or venereal disease or, you know, whatever. But yeah, like right. sex workers can help each other prevent uh, prevent unintended pregnancy and unintended pregnancies much better than a domestic than an isolated like domestic worker who's being right. sexually assaulted by her boss. Right. Who, who the mm-hmm. fuck is she going to talk to? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and it is good for sex workers to have a community. Yes. Um, what was sad is recently, I think it was stripper web was f- closed yep. down. Yeah. And that was a wealth. I remember, God, that site was around since yeah. year. Yeah. I remember. Knowledge, women sharing knowledge. 2005. Right? Women who know. Right, right. Yeah. I, I've always felt like, well, because I started stripping, I was always around a community where I would learn from each other. So I, yeah. was, used to, I was blessed to be able to start stripping. But as my sex worker career 
grew, I noticed different forms of sex workers. They didn't have the knowledge or strippers. Yeah. We would share like, oh, go to that guy yeah, yeah, good, yeah. or whatever. But right. um, you like to be negged. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You kind of do need that community. And you Absolutely. see through the years that that brothel, especially the female run brothel was helping. Yes. Absolutely. And it created a lot of opportunities that allowed women, right, way before um, feminists were able to successfully change the laws, right? So like, you know, women that owned brothels, women that engaged in sex work were able to get purchasing power in a way that many wives were excluded from, right? Because all of their property legally belonged to their husband, like late into the 1800s, right? Oh, and then there was the sisters, because I remember that. Everly sisters. I love them. Yes. They're the best. Because they had that piano at the end. I was like, damn, they still have that piano. Yeah. Who's going to get rid of that piano? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Worth worth more to me in stories than you could ever pay for it. And they made so much money. What was a million? It was like. Yeah, it was a million dollars in 1910. Yeah. God. It shows you the overhead. Yes. Also that, for sure. The yeah, years- there's a lot of it, uh, renovations, right? A lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of these early brothels, they're, yeah, they're, they're investing in chandeliers and silverware and furniture. And, and they had no and- internet back then. Right. right. So they really relied on word, word of, of mouth. mouth out then. And to get that they, kind of money. Right. Because then that's why that's the ROI, right? On paying for a chandelier that people talk about. Oh, right. Wow. Interesting. That's a good. <laughs> I see. I see. Wow. Yeah, no, I love that story. But uh, also you do mention in the podcast, and I love this, that you did mention about racism because the yeah. the. The, the unfortunate thing, and I encountered this early as myself, that they would, you know, I've been to clubs where they don't mm-hmm. allow any African-American woman. I myself yep. dealt with clubs not letting me work. I remember I started when I was dancing, I was 124 pounds at five foot four. And they would tell me, you're too heavy to work night shift. And then it would not, I would God see bless. who was coming on at night. And I was like, are you serious? Like, and it, there were... It, they would make up stuff and they would yeah. put certain dancers on certain shifts. Like you had yep. day shift or you had mornings, you know, and then I'm seeing who's coming on. So racism yeah. really has existed through the years. Oh yeah. I mean, the whole country is built on anti-black racism, right? Like yes. never, you know, to say nothing of the, the transatlantic slave trade, I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, we talk about white slavery, right. Yeah. In this country, but the actual slavery right there, we were breeding right? Fancy girls, right? Black women um, who were working in their capacity as chattel slavery, right? Um, And the demonization of Black men as the sexual threat to white women when the reality has always been white men raping uh, both Black, especially Black, but also white women, right? You're running the numbers, right? The number one threat. Uh, to white women is the person they married uh, historically. So um, it it is fascinating to me the way that this race stuff plays out. And these brothel owners are not 
you know, are not saints. They are women that I admire. They were able to carve a life for themselves when they had, you know, very limited options. But the branding choice that many of them make is that if they're trying to create an elite atmosphere, then anti-Black racism for both the women that they employ and also the clients that they allow to come in is is absolutely a well-documented and indisputable part of that. That's a, that's a very sad part, but that's an yeah. unfortunate part of society. But luckily, things have slowly, slowly changed. I, I don't know. I feel like porn and sex work is a place where implicit racism is often made explicit, right? The way that people search uh, for different kinds of, you know, racial, oh, yeah. you know, or even I think like Stormy Daniels was even sort of speaking to this experience of like making the self-interested uh, but like economically rational choice as a white performer not to do scenes with black men because it would lower her rate forever moving forward. Then that's a there's that's a, a right more, now problem. There, that's not a history a, problem. Yeah, there's a couple yeah. performers that they did that. There's another performer that did that that's very, very popular mm-hmm. um, that never shot with a black man. And it, it's it's just, you know, it, it, it it's weird to me. You right. know, yeah. it's weird. It's very, very weird. And uh, I've seen lots and lots of racism in all of my sex work world. Right. And what's right. crazy is the white men were so afraid, but do you know how many white men ha- have this curious where they want to see a white woman with a black, and, and, and I'm like, you guys are sick. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot going on there, you know, but like, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, you, you see it in porn themes, but like, yeah, and there is absolutely so- still um, aggressive racism um, right. in yeah. sex work and also everywhere else. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very sad. Um, now, the the AIDS epidemic, and that changed everything mm-hmm. towards the 70s and 80s and with the condom usage yeah. and all that. Um, I remember, and then the, what was it? The 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 early, um, God, I cannot remember the juice, that TV show. Yeah, yeah, juice. yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah the transition from you know sort of like street based sex work to porn happening in Times Square and porn chic and the mainstream success of of Deep Throat like there's this moment in the 1970s right so mm-hmm. um there uh June second is still celebrated as International Whores Day right and mm-hmm. it's an optimistic and defiant celebration of the occupation of churches all over France in the 1970s by prostitutes and angry women who hung a banner that read, uh, our children do not want their mothers in jail, right? And they sparked this international movement. Oh, wow. And Margot St. James started Coyote in 1975, right? Carol Lee coins the phrase sex work in the late 1970s to push back against feminists, right, who are calling us prostituted women, right? So there's the sex wars of, you know, the feminism that's happening between like Gloria Steinem and, uh, you know, Deep Throat and Andrea Dworkin. And I, I don't, I don't want to overwhelm you with, with dates and names, but there really is this moment in the uh, mid-1970s into the early 1980s where it feels like sex workers are making real progress. And the AIDS epidemic and the Reagan administration and the tough on crime Mm. reaction pushes all of that back, you know? And so the AIDS epidemic um, and the reactionary policies that we see in the Nevada brothels, right? And the criminalization um, of, you know, like drugs and sex and 
all of the stuff that happens, um, you know, my heart goes out to folks like Veronica Vera and Annie Sprankle, who were were coming up and were provocateurs and advocates during that time. You know, Spread Magazine publishes in the 1990s and early 2000s. There are absolutely sex worker advocates during those decades. It's just a moment where mainstream culture, like, cannot fucking hear you. But I, I feel like we're sort of in this brief window now where like sex workers are advocate, uh, excuse me, sex workers are organizing in, you know, over a dozen states across the country. Yes. We're being heard by legislators. You know, I think Denmark just voted to decriminalize. We have a lot of powerful allies, right? Amnesty International, ACLU, World Health Organization, Freedom Network, right? Um, but uh, Human Rights Watch, Human Rights uh, Org, but Despite all of that, I can I can feel it. Uh, and I want to check in with you because I know you've been doing this work for a long time, but it feels like we are absolutely ratcheting up another moral sex panic. Right. Going after trans folks, going after queer folks. Oh, yeah, it, for it, sure. Going after sex workers. So I um, I was raised in Florida mm-hmm. and Florida's looking very scary right now. Yeah, it looks very, very scary. And what's funny is. I'm going to tell you one thing. When I first started dancing, I started dancing in Tampa and I met a lot of dancers that were, they came to Tampa because they were not going to dance in Orlando. They were like, that damn mouse has just, they were like, Disney didn't want anything immoral around there. So they would come and drive over to Tampa. And I heard horror stories about stripping down at Disney and so I avoided Orlando area. And then I heard bus for escorting. I heard that, that, that I heard so many prostitution bus. Then recently I hear DeSantos is all against, and I'm like puzzled in my head. Why does he have it out for Disney? And, and then why is he, I don't know. He's, he's, he's a cruel son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, he's cruel. Cause I'm like Disney, like that whole it's- area. I mean, like, it's an old story, right? It's yeah. the right, it's the 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 right to bully, the right to enslave, right? Yeah. The right yeah. of property owners um to rule over their property, meaning their submissive wives, their employees, mm-hmm. right? All of these uh historically oppressed groups. It's the the freedom to fucking bully. Right. Yeah. And he's he I don't know, that whole state seems scary. I do feel like we have made a lot of progress in New York and in California, of course. Yes. Um, I do see the progress there, but the I Washington State and DC and Vermont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's movement, there's movement happening for sure. Um but yeah. Um and I I think it's just important to always remember this is and will remain a multi-generational fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. see um, prostitution being fully legalized probably till I'm like really, really old. Yeah. <laughs> but I also don't see it going away ever, no matter oh, what. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Men go hunting. Totally. Men, yeah. It's and and, and um, it's always primarily straight, you know, men that I've noticed um, that have been the buyers mostly. And they go hunting, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that actually, right? Because p- obviously, people of all genders engage in this work, right? right you know, right. Um, and it is the you know clients are uh, men are overrepresented, right? No matter yeah. which gender they're engaging with, 
right? Yeah. Men, men tend to be the buyers, but there are more and more uh, women and non-binary um, clients of sex workers. I'm starting to see yeah. a little break in that. And I think it's important for us to, you know, really admit what we don't know about human sexuality right. and the like gap between what we think we know and what's just been socialized about us. But as right. women achieve more economic success and purchasing power, I mean, we have, we have yeah. all the needs, right? Yeah. And- through the years, I, when I was dancing, I would see couples. I did see couples a lot when I was dancing, but um, through the years, I haven't, I haven't really seen as many, maybe they just are not interested in me. <laughs> like, maybe more feminists are Feminine women are not interested in me. When I dance, I saw a lot more couples. Um, always yeah. with a strip club, though, you had to bring in a man. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. There's that big concept. Well, yeah, because they don't want you don't they don't want you soliciting, right? Right. Right. Yeah. That was the big thing. Like they didn't let any single females come in. Right. And so, me personally, I have always, if I've witnessed anybody, it's couples, and it's it's usually the woman that's the one. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's the woman that's always it is the woman that's interested. But um, for me personally, the majority of the buyers have always been men um, I have encountered. I've done bachelor parties for females. Yeah, I gotta um, tell you, I had. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> oh no, no, keep on. Yeah, keep on. I I had uh, an eye opening experience in Montreal as a young oh, person. Sure. Where I was, I don't remember if I was 18 or 19 years old, but I was v- visiting a friend and she took me to a male strip club that catered to women, uh-huh. which was an experience that I'd never had before, right? Uh-huh. Like I'd gone to drag shows or I'd gone to like gay bars where they had like, you know, boys dancing or whatever, but I'd never had professional erotic energy directed at me, mm-hmm. right? And so I was uh, not old enough to drink in the United States. And I was a professional sex worker that commanded a fair, fair bit of sexual energy just, Mm -hmm. you know, on my own. And um, I spent $400 in less than 20 minutes. Really? It was amazing. Yeah, this guy blew on my clit and I gave him whatever he wanted after that. And it just kept being money. Like it was, but I, the something flipped in my head and I walked out of there and I was like, oh my God. Well, now that you get it. I now, fucking get it. Well, I did go to back in the day in Vegas because I lived in Vegas twice. There was a club called Olympic Gardens and upstairs they had the men for women. Well, yeah. I brought one of my friends. He was a gay male and um, I did get a dance. And the one thing, because I was a dancer, I already was a sex worker. I did notice I actually it was a learning experience for me mm-hmm. because the guys were so much gentlemen, overly gentlemen. Yeah. And they knew what to say, but I took it like a learning experience. But me, because I, I don't know, I'm so open-minded. I was, and I saw my friend and he was so interested in getting a dance. And he's like, oh, I like that one. I said, hey, can you dance for my friend? And he goes, I'm sorry, I don't dance for other males. Yeah. And I got mad because I go, hey, I dance for females. What the hell? Like, right, yeah, I, hey. I was like, I dance for females. Like, and he's like, no, 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 no. It's our policy or whatever. And then I just, I got kind of upset at that because. Well, yeah, because homophobia sticks harder on. Right. On I was right, like, yeah. I was like, oh, let's go. So, right. but that I didn't, I ended up 
maybe I got a dance or whatever. I didn't spend much money, but it was a very big learning lesson. And I think my money doubled that week because they were so much gentlemen. Yeah. And they were like, you know, they knew how to behave. Um, but I think because I wasn't, you know, I wanted to like treat my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. It's a, yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. a weird, weird atmosphere to navigate for sure. Right. But I was like, in general, um, me personally, I don't know. I get turned on more when men would close on. <laughs> like they look good in uniform mm-hmm. or, you know, dressed up. I think for me personally, like I love to see a man dressed up if I'm, if they're naked or whatever, I'm like, Oh no. You know, but I think, I don't know if all women are like that, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, you know, but, wow. So I'm you excited have that... to visit Montreal again. Oh, wow. <laughs> now I'm all like curious. I may want to go. You should go. Be... I've always wanted to go there because of the, cra- uh, the, how open people, um, from when it's I've gone. It's a really good example. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh, what could a society with less stigma look like? You know? Right. 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 However, I did want, um, when, when Trump first came in 2016, I did go to Vancouver and I went to go see like how it was to work. And it was kind of like overboard for me. I felt like it was too, it was just a very weird feeling because, um, because I was, a I, I started off dancing and I knew like less is more. Um, and it was, it was kind of like, too, you know, I just didn't feel that like niche of yeah. like, Oh, can I hang here? Like, no, they were like already, you know, like, you know, it was like all in your face too much. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it was the art of seduction for me where I went was kind of like lost. Sure. Um, but that was probably maybe the places I went to were not like all out culture there, but... change is hard. Yeah. You know? And no, I mean, it was and a it, very weird. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, I think it just shows you how much of like that. None of this shit is innate, you know, like yeah. we're all, we're all figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was briefly there and it was cool. I met some nice people. Um, but then I was like, well, let me go back to the U S and, and, and deal with stuff over here or that, that dream of, uh, and then I discovered how hard it was to become a Canadian citizen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not very easy. Yeah. 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 It's tough. So, yeah, but I do need, now that you said that I do need to go to Montreal. I'm go to Montreal, very, very... go to the strip club, report back. <laughs> I'll do an episode. Your listeners that. want to know. Yeah, I want to know. I want to bring cash. Yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> they will dance for my friends if I bring them. You know, they'll be more open minded. Sure they, seem, like they seemed they seemed open minded. Yeah. Oh, that seems cool. So um, now what? So you don't do any more comedy anymore or what? I have um, I have a one woman show on its one feet show? called Whore's okay. Eye View, where I cover 10,000 years of history from a sex worker's perspective. And it's a little bit a history lecture, a little bit a comedy special and a little bit like personal storytelling one woman show stuff. So I'm still utilizing that muscle, but like right, I'm right. not fighting for spots at yeah, yeah, clubs yeah. in New York. Right. Yeah. I got you. I understand. So when when are you going to have that show? Because now I'm all curious. Oh, where are you based? I'm right in Brooklyn. See, there's oh, bridge. fucking yeah. I've got <laughs> shows uh, May fifth, eighth, and fourteenth at the Tank Theater. Oh, okay. Come check it out. Yeah. Oh, I I will definitely have to. Now I'm all curious because um, I would love to. I love listening to the. Yeah. If you if you like the podcast, you will love this show. Because it's it's just the podcast, but like sped up to a thousand and with wow. a lot more personal storytelling in it. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I do want to see that. It's just, Please come. Yeah. 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 So, no, tickets are available at whoreseyeview.com. Whoreseyeview. Yeah. You can also find links to that and all of our other events at oldprosonline.org. Old, old pros online. Let everybody know where they can find you, your Instagram, totally. your Twitter, your all you the can, websites and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can follow me uh, personally at Caitlin Bailey. I've got, you know, CaitlinBailey.com. I'm Caitlin Bailey on Twitter and Instagram. I technically have a TikTok. I've never posted. I'm not confident. I'll figure it out, but, but I'm there. Um, and you can also follow um, our work at Old Pros Online. And so that's oldprosonline.org, Old Pros Online um, on Instagram and Twitter, and also Facebook. And I'm, um, you'll hear all about my appearances and shows and upcoming podcasts and season five uh, by getting on our email list at oldprosonline.org. Right. Well, thank you so much for, and Coming on to uh, get school today. Thank we you so have, much for having this, me. This is a great history lesson. I could yeah. talk to you all day. Thank you so much again. Thanks for having me.